Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? Uh, doing really good, man. Had a good weekend with the family, hung out, and did some yard work, some more of that stuff. Um, heading, actually heading out camping here uh, tonight. Yeah. Um, my daughter and I went out scouting for camping spots yesterday. It was kind of fun. We had a blast. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> Which is funny that you have to do that, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, she had the, the, there were so many people, which is great for them. They're up in the mountains getting out of town. You know, it's like no one's catching coronavirus uh, up camping. Um, but it was fun, like driving in the car with my daughter. She's starting to understand that daddy like hunts and kills animals. And um, and then she's like super concerned about bears and snakes. Mm. Uh, and, and she's always like, are there bears in these mountains? Are these snakes in these mountains? And, yeah. uh, and then um, – it was hilarious because she was like, what color are the bears, daddy? And I'm like, well, it could be black or brown or blonde or cinnamon. And she's like, I think there's pink bears. And she's <laughs> like, the pink bears are really, really big. And you can't shoot the pink bears, daddy, because the pink bears eat the big snakes. <laughs> oh, nice. She's got to figure it out, man. <laughs> she's got to figure it out, man. Yeah. She was, uh, and the pink bears are friendly. You can't shoot them. They eat the big snakes. That's because so, they're care bears, awesome. right? Aren't the care bears yeah, pink? Exactly. Something like that? <laughs> Yep. And they have rainbows uh, on their so belly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we were, uh, her another thing she did was, uh, she was, we were looking for meadows to camp in and, uh, she started calling them like meadows, like, you know, tomato, mato. Uh-huh. Um, so damn cute. Like, daddy, there's a mato we could camp in. Uh, dude, it was just dying. I was dying laughing inside. Yeah. So it's fun that she's getting, getting older and can interact more and it's yeah. totally down for just hanging out with dad in the car and going up to the mountains. We had a blast. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It was good weather here. Got outside and, uh, it, my, uh, my parents had one of the kids on Friday night and then my wife's parents, um, had the other kids who like Jen and I had this date night and we're like, what the heck do we do? Like everything's closed. We can't, you know, actually do anything. We ended up ordering, uh, like takeout pizza and went to the park, which is technically closed. But we essentially went tailgating, um oh, and like sat there i was like you know it's such a weird like you wouldn't just normally think of doing that if you have a night free but it's actually gorgeous weather like random thing to do sit there and eat pizza on the tailgate and hang out and it's just, it was just like one of those reminders of this there's so what good things in this weird stage of life right just different yep. stuff yep absolutely yeah things are slow down appreciate the small things you know my wife and i have talked about talked about that a bunch just uh yeah all right, tough to say that though when there's other people going through truly hard times, you know, that uh, yeah. um, standing in food line or something like that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. One random thing that we did this weekend as well, uh, just thinking of like groups of friends and other families we normally hang out with and, you know, knowing that they've been stuck inside with kids and some of them are going through job stuff, things like that. We essentially went to, um, made these little baskets with like popcorn and candy for the kids and activities for them to do. And like, basically we went and just did ding dong ditch yesterday and like dropped off stuff for people oh, um, nice. and uh, just kind of surprised them with that. So it was just like another random thing of, you know, thinking of friends that we normally connect with and haven't been able to connect with and a fun way to, to kind of just surprise people. So just throw that out there. If you know somebody, um, maybe who's going through something, that'd be like a fun little thing to do is just the kids had a blast, man. They were like totally playing ding dong ditch. Two of the, uh, couples, they're getting ready to have babies soon. So we were dropping off like diapers and stuff for them. And my one buddy, I wasn't exactly sure which house was his. (laughs) And, uh, so I didn't hear from him all day and I'm like, he, 
you know, we didn't leave our name on it or anything. And I was like, he probably didn't know who it's from, obviously. And then I was starting to get nervous. It was the wrong house. So I texted him. I was like, hey, man, your house number is this, right? And uh, he texted back. He's like, oh, that was you guys. He goes, I have a security camera, but all it picked up was this little brunette girl uh, running away from our house really fast. And I couldn't see who it was because it wasn't her face because it was my daughter doing it. It was hilarious. Uh, funny uh cool let's get into some listener questions um hit this one first kind of a isn't meant to be a pack related question but kind of is um this guy says i've heard you guys say multiple times on the podcast you don't like to use stuff sacks i get that everything settles into the pack much better without them but what do you do to keep your other things dry when your shelter is wet from rain or condensation I'm specifically thinking of a hunt with camp on your back scenario where you're packing up the shelter every morning, pitching it in a new place every night. I'm currently running a down sleeping bag and I do not want to get that wet. So when I pack up in the morning and my shelter is wet, how do I keep it dry separate from my sleeping bag? Or sorry, sorry, how do I keep my sleeping bag dry separate from the wet tent if I'm not using a stuff sack? Yeah, easy. Uh, <laughs> uh, so on our new K3 packs, I specifically um, pleated the bladder pocket. We, the original prototypes just had the, the fabric sewn flat in there. Um, and uh, so it fit a water bladder great. And then uh, I think at one point I just literally was in the prototyping, you know, out there in the field using it. And my I had this exact situation, right? Um, and I was like, this is a perfect place to stuff the tent when it's soaking wet, uh, my tarp. And um and I stuffed it down in there and it was kind of a tight fit. Um, and then I was like, man, if we just pleat these pockets, uh, pleat the fabric on the inside and create a lot more volume here. It's going to be a great wet pocket for, for a tent fly. So we did that on the K threes. Um, historically though, on, on our other packs, we just used the side pockets or the front stretch pocket. Um, so basically had a, had a place just to keep it completely separate, stuff it in there. And then, you know, hopefully ideally by like noon, the sun comes out, you, you take a break, you throw that uh, fly out there in the sun, and usually, you know, if you if you sit there for 30 minutes, it dries out pretty quick. Definitely have hung the fly from a tree if I'm on a ridge or something, and the wind's blowing kind of strong. I'll I'll just hang that up and let it uh, dry out quick too. So, and then and then yeah, just transfer it back into the main bag. But it's always nice to to dry it out like that. So when you go to pitch it at night, you're just not dealing with a a wet fly, and um, yeah, it's just no fun. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and that's one of those specifically, it somewhat relates to the style of hunt, as you mentioned. It's yes. it's going to be much more relevant when you're packing up every morning and then moving, setting up camp. If you're, you know, you pack into a backcountry base camp, you're not moving for three, four, or five days. You're not really going to run to that problem or even necessarily have to think through it. But it's, it's just a good like, example to highlight how the different hunting styles have all these different little things like you'll pick up over time learn over time or run into kind of a unique problem because of that if that makes sense um so yeah just another interesting point of uh, all the little variables man <laughs> yeah yeah lots of little ones lots of little ones that just make the as you do it more they just make things easier and easier and easier so yeah cool. this uh this next one came in i want to say it's a question it's kind of a topic um Man, it's it's something I relate to, Steve. I know that you'll relate to it as well. It just came through over the weekend. And so I haven't even fully had a chance to think through this. But as soon as this guy wrote in and I started reading this, I was like, oh, this is such a good topic to think through. So 
right up front, I don't think we're going to have a short and sweet answer for this one, but it's something that I wanted to talk about not only now, but probably in the future as we continue to look at this topic more. Um, so this guy wrote in, he basically says, I live in the eastern U.S., but I've almost entirely hunted out west since 2014. I had a kid last year. Before then, it was easy to get out for one big hunting trip every year, as well as a couple of longer weekends. But now with a kid, I'm pretty well limited to my one trip trip a year. When I first started going out west, it was for antelope, mule deer, and whitetails, and fill in the freezer was no problem. But I've since focused more and more on elk, and I'm finding myself in a meat crisis. My question is, how do you balance hunting for meat with hunting for adventure? I know the two aren't exclusive and often go hand in hand, but so far in the years I've dedicated my week out west to hunting elk, I haven't been successful and that's put me in a tight spot to fill the freezer uh, with deer hunting at home. Again, he's out east, so probably whitetail hunting there. He says, I know the obvious answer is to be more successful hunting elk, but in general, how do you manage low success rate hunts with shorter time to hunt? I'm struggling. Do I pursue more success in terms of filling the freezer on easier hunts, or do I continue to pursue more adventure behind new places, new species, and maybe hunting uh, in a way that isn't as quote-unquote successful. So love the topic. Uh, I 100% relate to it. Um, yeah, for so many reasons. What are your What are your first thoughts, takeaways from that, Steve? Yeah, he went, actually went a little different direction than I was expecting. Because um, to, to me, the, the answer was like, I love... Um, hunting for me has become way more about the adventure, the place than it is specifically the animal, right. Uh, or the size of the antlers. I just really don't, you know, that isn't what, uh, gets me excited, you know, killing a big bull or a buck or something's nice. But to me, it's the, it's the adventure aspect of it. And then being able to hunt and go kill something. So for me, it's, um, my answer kind of along those lines is what I thought he was going with it is I just pick, um, really cool areas to hunt and then I'm not super picky on the animals that I shoot, right? So when it comes to elk hunting, literally, you know, I will shoot a spike this year if that's the first animal that steps in front of me uh, with a bow and arrow in my hand. Um, but it's going to be in a really cool place on a backpack hunt, not off of a four-wheeler, you know, uh, somewhere that was easy to access where, to me, that just doesn't have the same um, – you know, it's not even in the same ballpark of the experience and adventure. So mm-hmm. – uh, but he's saying he wants to, yeah, it went a little different direction. Like I said, he's saying he wants to, uh, he's not being picky. He does just want to get meat and he's trying to balance that out. Um, of, uh, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm curious what his, like, what's the easier way to, to kill elk for him? I mean, is he talking about like yeah. rifle versus bow or drawing a tag versus over the counter? Um, well, I think, it, yeah. I think part of it was he was saying when he first started hunting west, he was going after different animals. So he said antelope, mule deer, whitetails, and he was filling the freezer doing that. But then he since transitioned to using his limited time to focus on elk and hasn't had as much luck. So, yeah, maybe he was, uh, you know, maybe those other hunts or those other species were rifle hunts or whatever. Maybe they were easier. He was filling the tag. But basically, he's in this point now where it's like, do I still keep spending my limited time hunting elk? And it sounds like he has a passion for that. Um, or, you know, how do I balance that with filling the freezer? And then he got into a little bit, you know, he again lives out west. And he was saying he's spent his week hunting elk. And then 
basically has to come home, still has a limited time because he spent a bunch of time away from the family, and he's then trying to fill the freezer, but he doesn't enjoy that as much. And I can relate to that point on, you know, going on uh, Western hunts and then coming home and being like, okay, now I'm hunting, but it it doesn't feel the same. It's not as adventurous. It's not, you know, this big grand landscape. It's, you know, maybe he mentioned tree tree stand hunting for whitetails, and he struggles to do that. But to me, that has become a little bit more of a, a meat mission, if you will. Like if the years that I've gone west and haven't filled an elk tag and then come home and it's like, okay, I got to fill the freezer. Um, I am hunting to fill the freezer at that point. And it's not, it's not even the same thing. Like, yes, it's hunting, but it's a totally different mindset and pursuit for me in a lot of ways um, than hunting out west or hunting for elk. And, you know, I try to balance that too. Um, you know, thinking of, uh, years where I'll, I'll still continue to hunt. Um, 2018 was a good example. My deer season here, I have a place I could go to that isn't like a sure bet to fill a tag, but it's, you know, it's pretty efficient, I would say, especially during rifle season. Um, and I totally skipped out on that, even though I wanted to fill the freezer and went to a totally different piece of the state, did public land, even though I could have hunted private. Um, packed in somewhere, even though I didn't have to, like I had a much more efficient way to fill the freezer, but I still tried to balance that with going to a new place, a new adventure, um, packing in somewhere, having to then pack out that buck when I killed it, that type of thing. So it's, I, I just, I feel that struggle that he's saying on balancing, like how you do it, what you were talking about, Steve, like how you fill the tags much more important than are you filling the tag? But at the same time, also knowing you got to fill the freezer, um, or you want to fill the freezer, I should say. So it's just an interesting topic. It'd be good to, to hear from folks on, on how they've gone through that. And it's, to be honest with you, it's still something that I relate to. Um, even now, for example, like our turkey season opened up, um, last Monday, a week ago, and, uh, I haven't gotten out yet. And part of that's just been, cause I've been short on time, but part of that's been because I haven't been able to go out on a hunt the way I want to. Again, I have a, a piece of private ground that's close to home. I could sneak away for like a three-hour hunt one morning. But what I really want to do is go somewhere and like pack in and overnight and have a much bigger place to hunt and really be able to run around and chase turkeys all day. I haven't, I haven't had the time to do that. And so part of me struggles with like hunting when it's not as adventurous or in the like, I guess, style that I want to, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I definitely make um, conscious decisions. I think we've talked about this in the past on what I want the hunt to be beforehand. Um, you know, so again, like if you were going out just to shoot the turkey uh, and get turkey meat in the in the freezer, that's that's a whole different hunt than wanting to go out and have a, a really fun backpacking overnight experience. You know, and I just think it's important to decide the type of hunt you want and then set your expectations for that. Um, so for this guy, it sounds like yeah, I mean. He does just need to decide, um, you know, the, the, the one answer is like, he just needs to kind of keep, I would just dig your heels in and just, he needs to become a better elk hunter, mm-hmm. um, find better country and get, just become, you know, get more experience. And, uh, in the short term, there might be the, the pain of, um, not having as much meat in the freezer, but in the long term, you know, if he gets it figured out in two to three years from now, he's starting to be you know, successful, or at least he comes out and kills an elk every other year. Uh, that, that one elk's, you know, the equivalent to four or five deer in the freezer. So it kind of stacks up and you're getting a lot of meat out of that one animal. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that'd be kind of my answer to him is it's, um, you know, maybe, um, yeah, I, I'd have a plan to like get your deer meat at home as your backup. Right. And then, and when you, when you come out West here, focus on having a really great fun time and, and a great adventure, uh, and just understand that, um, you know, I don't know what, uh, somewhere between 10 and 20% are harvest or, or, uh, um, harvest statistics, harvest success, <laughs> harvest yeah. success, right. Harvest statistics. And, uh, um, somewhere in there, you know, that you got to have that realistic expectation of you're not going to kill an elk every year. So, uh, focus on having a good time and a great adventure. And then over time, uh, he'll become a better hunter and start being more successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, you know, it made me think this whole balance of, do you want higher adventure, or higher success? I think that's why one of the reasons why Kodiak was so amazing. Uh, and we kind of mentioned that, especially for guys who are newer and want the experience of hunting the mountains you at the same time, like have a very target rich opportunity is Kodiak was both high adventure and high success. Um, yeah, it was like perfect pair of the two. You don't have to pick one or the other. It It is both, but obviously that's, you know, that's not realistic, uh, for most guys to hunt every year. Or that's something most guys are gonna have to save for, for a few years, that type of thing. But, um, you know, when this question came through and thinking of Kodiak, it's like, that's one of the reasons that was amazing. It was, it was just hundred percent, both high adventure and high success. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was fun. Yeah. It's just, it's an interesting topic, man. It's, uh, in the end, I, I would think through, um, like what you were saying, Steve, of understanding expectations, making sure that when you are spending the time to go hunt, especially for your big trip, that you're enjoying it because it can be easy to get caught up in the pressure of trying to fill the freezer. Um, so focused on success, meaning a filled tag and then not enjoying or fully appreciating the time they have out there. Um, yeah. So just don't let, don't let that pressure or demand of filling the freezer ruin the enjoyment of it. You, you always have to balance that as much as you want to be successful and put in the effort and all that. You also have to, um, just fully enjoy the process. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. That's a, that's a topic that man, yeah, there's no easy answer to (laughs) Yeah, yeah. all kinds of thoughts there. I think it's just super important to set your expectations up front and, um, and then that way you can relax and enjoy it. You know, for me, it's my ideal hunt is I go with a buddy. Um, I kill like, you know, I go on an elk hunt and I kill a spike on day one. I've got delicious, awesome meat in the freezer. And then I tag along and help my buddy for the rest of the week who he can be as picky as he wants to be. And, you know, I just got to be out there calling and running around the mountains and enjoying it. And yeah. the stress of killing the animals off and uh, just really like you get to soak the experience in. And it's hard to it's hard to appreciate it as much when the weapon's in your hand, I think, at least for me. Um mm-hmm. Just because it's, you know, you, you got a lot more to be concerned about when, when you're the shooter. Um, and it's fun just to, to not be the shooter and kick back and relax. Yep. I like it. It's been a while, Steve. So let's hit a, but, uh, let's hit a boot question. Okay. I think people are having withdrawals or something. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, guy wrote in saying he's looking for budget boots, uh, specifically looking at three different options and staying under $200. For his first ever Western Big Game hunt this September, um, he thought for the terrain he was hunting in, he wouldn't need hardcore mountain boots. He called it. So he was trying, to, and again, he was trying to stay under that two hundred dollar budget. He said the podcast gave me the idea to look at Salmon Quest Four Ds or La Sportiva TX Fives. 
but what about Danner pronghorns? They seemed popular, but they seem to also now never get recognized. What are the positives or negatives of these three boots? Um, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting question because I haven't uh, I haven't thought about pronghorns in a while or seen them come up. And at the same time, like he said, for a while they were they were super popular. Have you worn them, Steve? It seems like almost everybody has at some point. Uh, I, those are my, you know. I'm going to pick on Danner. Those are the the boots that got me wearing running shoes. Uh, <laughs> that was my, that was my first, you know, like, um, yeah, started hunting, had, you know, I was probably 18, just had like some cheapo, you know, I don't know, Walmart boot or whatever. And then somewhere in that time frame, second year of elk hunting, I think. So I was probably 1920, uh, picked up a pair of Danner pronghorns, right? I, oh, I finally spent some money on a good quality pair of boots. These things are going to be awesome. Uh, and man, I flip and hated them, but that to be fair to Danner, that was a long time ago, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking, geez, that's crazy. Uh, possibly 17 years ago. <laughs> so, uh, but they're wow, not, okay. So they're not super stiff, super, well, I guess they are heavy, but they're not like a hardcore, super stiff boot that you've kind of, obviously people have heard you talk about again. So what about it didn't work for you though? Hmm. The, probably the biggest thing was just discomfort. Like I remember having extremely, extremely hot feet, like the balls of my feet sliding around inside the boot. So it, it, you know, maybe it's worthwhile, uh, to order up a pair and and try running them again and see how they feel. But, um, back then it was definitely, yeah, like you did a morning hunt and I got back to camp or to the truck. And the first thing you did was want to get your boots off because your feet hurt so bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember that pretty vividly. So, yeah. Yeah, that that was my experience with them is just being very hot. And then, of course, they're a taller boot. And I've just found that I don't I don't need that and I don't want that. I don't prefer that by any means. So um, to me, yes, I've worn them. Um, I wouldn't, you know, run around the woods like a little bit. OK, but doing a mountain hunt like elk hunt with them uh, isn't something I would do, uh, especially a multi-day hunt, that type of thing. Um, of his other options, he mentioned um, the Salomon Quest 4Ds, the La Sportiva TX5s. Uh, I think both are good boots. The Salomons I've worn more than the La Sportivas. Um, we've talked a bunch about the pros and cons of those. They're incredibly comfortable, pretty much zero break-in, wear them out of the box. Your feet are generally going to feel great, uh, for most folks anyway. And uh, the downside is going to be waterproofness is hit or miss for sure and then somewhat durability um in the long term depending on how hard you're hunting and then on the last sportivas i would just say in general um just keep in mind they're more of a narrow boot uh so if you have a average foot they may work if you have a wider foot they're not going to work um they're just they're just they're more narrow in general so um yeah. i think either of those could be a good option yeah on the La sportiva side one of the pairs of boots that i've been testing and really really liked had them in kodiak is those their nucleo high uh so n-u-c-l-e-o uh high gtx and i just uh, i remember them being pretty reasonable they're 199 for some reason they're on clearance right now basically i'm seeing them for 99 dollars to 130 dollars oh nice um that's a great freaking boot for 130 bucks uh i mean i had that on i had that uh yeah, in Kodiak and wore it on some other really wet hunts. They're absolutely uh, never had any leaking. Feet stayed dry the entire time. Um, 
got a good solid tread pattern. I can't speak to like Uber long-term um, use uh, durability, but you know, they, they've got quite a few miles on them already and they're holding up great and tread yeah, treads good. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, that's a great boot. I would, uh, if anyone's out there looking for a steel on a boot, that's a, a good one to check out. Yeah. Yeah. And I wore those when we were in Kodiak, I'd say all the same, the, um, again, limited experience, but I was impressed with them, especially considering how wet it was and how dry I stayed and comfortable for sure. Yeah. The TX fives are, um, I think I saw those running 150 to 160. So just a little bit more there have a higher Rand. Um, yeah, they will, they look a little more built for sure, but again, not something super heavy. So, uh, yeah, good options though, man. I, w- I would, again, like to make a recommendation, I would go with one of the two you mentioned or uh, the Nucleos that you just mentioned, Steve, and ideally just try and order them from a place where you can get them, try them, um, and return them if they don't work. But for budget boots, two good options. Um, let's see. Random gear question, Steve. Uh, guy wrote in says, I was wondering what color Piranha stretch Zion pants you recommend for Western hunting? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. If, if you listen to the podcast at all, you know, I could care less really about camouflage. Uh, but I do think it's important to wear just natural colors. Uh, and the mud is the color that Prana has. That's a, it's just a really, really good tannish brown blends in everywhere. Uh, reminds me a lot. It's on the brown spectrum. Lots reminds me a lot of our, uh, the solution dyed ranger green cordura we use in the pack. Like it's, it is green, but it's kind of brown and gray depending on where you, uh, like what you set it on a rock or dirt or pine needles. Um, yeah, it's just a good solid color blends in well with, with just about everything. So mud would be the color of choice. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in. Um, we will be off tomorrow for a TSS and then have a full episode on Wednesday, but we'll have more TSS episodes coming later this week. So if you have any questions, topics you want us to hit, as always, just send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com, and we'll talk to you soon.